Welcome to the Gate Drop Podcast. GateDrop.com, giving you the jump in motocross news. GateDrop.com, Portugal MXGP preview. I'm Jonathan McCreary and joining me is Andy McKinstry. Andy, you were in Portugal, in Agueda. How was your trip? How was the race? And what were your thoughts on Portugal for the first time? I think that's the first time you'd been there. I'd been there well, good, maybe a decade ago now, actually, but it's a very good track to watch from. Quite out of the way in terms of traveling too, but how did you find it all? I, I didn't realize you have actually been there before then. Um, yeah, to be honest, enjoyed every minute of it. One of those tracks where you walk into, you just think, wow, this is amazing. Everything's so handy, you know, when you're actually at the track. The paddock's close. It's brilliant for the fans. Everything's kind of con- condensed into a small space, so there's no hassle. So really, really good. The weather was unbelievable. The really good atmosphere there, actually. Obviously, due to COVID this last couple of years, if there have been any fans there at all, it's been limited. So it was good to see a packed house for the Sunday. A lot of Sp- Spanish there as well as Portuguese. I couldn't recommend it. If anyone hasn't been there, I thoroughly recommend you go there for an MXGP. Really, really good. Did you get your head burnt? I know you don't really like the sun and the few times you've managed to fly back with a burnt head. Do you know what? It was hot, but it wasn't like unbelievably hot. So put my suntan cream on, not too bad. (laughs) Wee bit on the head that I missed on the back of my legs. But apart from that, can't complain. On the airport, how did that go? Uh... Yeah, that was probably the biggest shambles of the whole weekend, all thanks to Dublin. Uh, Dublin had recommended for everyone to get down to their flight four hours early because we have staff difficulties. Went there, got through security in 15 minutes, but then Burger King was a shambles. Took me an hour and a half to get a burger. (laughs) And then coming home, the flight was delayed. I ran to make the bus. I made the bus, but the bus was full, so I had to wait an hour to get home. But you know what? It was all worth it in the end because the racing was brilliant, the track was brilliant, the crowd was brilliant, and I can't wait for the next one now. <laughs> Missing your bus is why this podcast is a day late. So that was brilliant. <laughs> bus. Right, let's get on to the racing. Overall, from watching the races, it looked pretty good. Actually, the first woman's race was, was really good. Mm. I know there was a bit of discrepancy in terms of opinions regarding the track that regarding the track i quite liked it even on the saturday yes it was fast it was reminded me slightly of argentina in terms of the grip wasn't always there some corners it looked more loamy and then other areas it was chopping they couldn't quite trust the grip but even on the saturday while it was hard to pass you could pass you were able to go inside outside you maybe just had to do that three or four corners in a row to eventually make the move happen. But you had to think, you had to use throttle control. And again, the Sunday, the track was a bit different. I think the disc did up more. But still, I thought the track was pretty good. Yes, it wasn't easy to pass, but it was possible. And you had to think your whole way around that track. You couldn't just pin it too much because the ground was a bit uneven. Absolutely. I mean, before I went, I watched that battle of uh, that amazing battle between rocks and hurlings in 2011, and there wasn't a bump in sight. It was just yeah. flat pin it to win it. But uh, Saturday morning, they decided not to rip it, which they usually do. So I didn't mind that in a way because it was it was different, you know, for a change. Yeah. They didn't have ruts and it was um, it was more open. 
the only thing I would say is because of that, it took a while to get rough. I mean, the first eight sessions was just a speedway and everyone was enjoying the track. So you couldn't really take too much from the times because the times were all so close. But it got good for, for the races on Saturday. And then I actually, again, I didn't mind that they ripped it because then it was another challenge for the riders. The track was pretty different. It was more hard packing the Saturday. Sunday was a bit more softer. They ripped it in places. And whilst I didn't think at the time that was a good decision, it actually turned out really well because the track was definitely a lot rougher on Sunday than it was on Saturday. There was no doubt about that. So overall, I think the, the track crew done a really good job. And uh, I really enjoyed the track because, like I say, I watched the Hurlings and Rocks and Battle in 2011 and was expecting something similar. But actually, the track was a lot more challenging this year than it was back then. And the fact not all the track was a rut and not all of it was disked up allowed riders yeah. to be able to square off corners, start outside, go inside, go inside, drift wide to try and make passes, which was good. It was something a wee bit different. Sometimes the track's either one line because it's tight or it's one line because there's three or four ruts, but there's maybe only one good rut. So that was, again, something different. So overall, I know some people had mixed thoughts on the track, but I actually quite enjoyed it. Difficult to pass, yes. But as I said, it wasn't impossible. We saw riders come through the field, Iago Gertz and Tim Geyser. So it was possible. It just wasn't wasn't very easy. And it certainly was a fast pace. It seemed pretty intense right through the right through the field in both classes. Yeah, well, it was very, very fast on Saturday, but it, it, it slowed down a lot for Sunday, in my opinion. And I'm not sure who you said they didn't like the track, but I was talking to a lot of riders and pretty much all the riders liked the track and they said it was rough. So yeah, I enjoyed it really good. And what I would say is, even though they did rip bits of the track, it, they didn't rip it too deep, so yeah. it was still possible to pass. And but and they and they are break between the first MXGP race and the second MX2 two race. They ripped the start straight, and I was sort of thinking, what have they done here? But it was actually a good decision because after about three laps, it was already as rough as it was. And then because it was so soft, it got rougher and the breaking bumps up the pit lane were, it didn't look like it in TV, I have to say, but they were, they were pretty savage. The, the suspensions were working overtime and uh, Geyser and Gertz were, you could see them, you know, lifting the front weight over the bumps. So it was really good to watch. So no, like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed the track because I, I was expecting it to be pretty much a speedway the whole weekend and even after the first eight sessions you were sort of thinking is this going to get that rough but in the end it was really really good right let's talk about the racing and jorge prado mxgp class came away with a win his first win this year and it was a wee bit like the first couple of rounds where he got the start and he got the win but in the second moto tim geyser showed he was still the fastest however what was interesting was jorge prado after the race actually mentioned a, he hasn't been at his very best this year, which I think we felt, but it was interesting to hear him confirm that from his own expectations and how he feels on the bike. But also the fact he felt pressure, that this was a weight off his off his back. For someone that's usually very calm and confident, I was a bit surprised he A, felt like that, and B, admitted that. Coming off Argentina, which was a relative disaster for somebody as fast as Jorge Prado and talented, Yes, he still got on the podium, but he lost quite a lot of points to Tim Geyser. <clears throat> to get this win, the win looked bigger. Maybe he only gained a couple of points in the championship, of course. But mentally, this looks like a big weight off his shoulders. Jorge seems to think that this can now almost free his mind up and allow him to get to his potential. We know he's all, you were talking to him 
for an interview that you can catch on our site or listen to on the, the interview podcast from the Portugal Grand Prix. But he also mentioned he's still doing bits and pieces with the bike just to try and develop that as well. So things are trending in the right direction for Prado. We talked before this and I felt it was a massive GP for him. He couldn't lose, couldn't afford to lose too many more points to Tim Geyser. But he's arrested that momentum. He's got that big win. Yes, it wasn't a 1-1, but he still got a couple of points off Tim Geyser. Got the win and I feel in terms of momentum, this could be very big for Jorge Prado. Just if someone stopped him, Geyser winning. But Geyser was certainly the fastest rider over the weekend, you would say? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Geyser was the quickest rider, but the quickest rider doesn't always win. And I mean, after Argentina, I don't think too many people would have thought that Prado would have won this weekend or even gained points in Geyser. But that's exactly what Prado needed to do, you know, to get back in this championship. There's no way he could could have let Geyser gain points on him. So after Argentina, what looked impossible, he's actually, he's done it. He's won the GP, he's gained points. And, you know, he's still quite far off his potential. And considering that only to be 19 points off isn't too bad. But again, he's going to have to stop Geyser from, you know, beating him and gaining points. But at least he's got it under 20 points now. So if he can even keep it under 20 for the next few rounds, like if they, if they even... Um, get the same points or whatever. That's not not too bad. Interestingly, um, Miguel Harap was speaking to him just before the press conference and asked him how he felt. And he said the last five laps felt very, very long. So I think at the end of Muro's, he's maybe struggling, the end of the second Muro. And if that race had been an extra lap, even or an extra lap or an extra two laps, that whole podium could have been completely different because Glenn was right yeah. on him. But So that's, that's an area maybe he needs to improve. But... Going Darko now, it should be a completely different challenge for the riders. They haven't really rode a slick hard pack track this year so far, so it'll definitely um, throw up another challenge. And unfortunately for Prado and everyone else, that's Tim Geyser's best surface with the absence of Roman Fevre, who, by the way, looks like he may miss most of, if not the entire season. He updated that he needs another operation on his leg, and he's got, he said he's going to be out for months, so it's not looking good for Roman Fevre. We'll come on to Jeffrey Herling shortly, but again, he doesn't look like he's going to be back in the next round or two, maybe, at least. And that leaves Tim Geyser really with mental stability, I think, especially after Portugal. Yes, he didn't win, but he was able to close on to the, the lead duo in that first moto pretty quickly once he got into third, which I was really impressed with because he could have just sat there and took it easy and, and took a third but he didn't, and he rode hard, but he didn't look out of control. And again, in the second moto, he seemed to follow Jorge Prado's lines. As soon as he got a slight opening, he went for that pass halfway through, opened up a gap and controlled the race. It's almost like the intensity isn't quite there because Jeffrey Hurlings isn't there, but Tim Geiger's the one controlling the pace of, of the whole championship at the minute. He doesn't have Hurlings lifting that level, lifting that intensity. Maybe we from the outside would like to see that intensity maybe a bit more again like it was last year. But Tim Geyser's the one controlling everything. He looks like he's actually been trained all winter to go after Jeffrey Hurlings at that intensity. And right now he almost doesn't have to because Prado isn't quite at his usual level, although maybe this could be the turning point in Portugal. But other than that, Geyser looks like he's just got the pace on people when he really needs it. And yet again, the race he didn't win, he got a third and got second overall. 
his bad motos aren't bad at all, and he's not given up very many points. And now we're coming to probably one of his best tracks. So again, a low Prado one. Guys are probably going to be still fairly calm going into uh, round five. Yeah, well, the thing about Geyser with me is he didn't get an overly good start in the first moto, but he showed no signs of panic whatsoever. He just took his time, and actually he took his time to get into third. But, you know, whenever he decided to put the hammer down, it didn't take him long at all to catch Bodgers and Prado. But interestingly, speaking to Gordon Crockard, who who has a role with the Honda team, he says Geyser's being too conservative in the first motos right. because he knows it's a long season and yeah. he doesn't want to take risk. And interestingly, Prado said the exact same thing to me. He said it's a long season and he doesn't want to take risks either. So it's interesting that they're both, you know, seeing the, the big picture this year. Yeah. Maybe that's because um, Jeffrey Hurlings and Roman Fever aren't there and they see themselves going for this championship. But it's interesting that they've both got that mindset, you know. Jorge Prado is probably wishing Tim Geyser's bad motors would stop coming and qualifying. He hates that don't pay out any points. Ruben Fernandez, yeah. who ironically was brought in to help Tim Geyser at the end of last season, ended up hindering Tim and what I would say was a racing accident. I don't actually think it was Ruben's fault. The two rider Geyser drifted a bit wide and Ruben was turning yeah. down and they just they just collided. Yeah. And then Ruben collided actually with Mitch Evans again in that race. So it wasn't totally perfect for, for Honda that moto, but everyone turned it around for <clears throat> for the Sunday. And again, it was Geyser. He'd had that issue in Argentina. He had another issue in the qualifying race in Portugal. And yes, you could argue that gate pick cost him a good start in the first moto, but yet he was able to make the good start in the second moto. So how much of a an issue that was is, is hard to totally clarify. But certainly it opened the door for Prado in that first moto with that bad start. And Jorge, as he does, takes advantage, good under pressure. But certainly it was it's one of those things where what if for Jorge Prado? He's had a couple of bad motos and they've came in where the points pen motos, as it were. For Stim Geyser's two couple of bad motos have come in the qualifying races and therefore Geyser's been able to maintain that points gap pretty well. Yeah, you're right. Although I think after Argentina and the way Prado rode, to cut the gain points on this weekend and get it down to 19, knowing that he's not at his full potential yet, I think Prado will be happy enough. Like I said earlier, I think he just needs to keep it under 20, 25 points. And then you never know if he starts to find his level from last year. You just never know. He could go on a bit of a winning run and then 19 points can get um, cut down very quickly. But for now, it's just the key for the next few rounds not to let that points gap get out any bigger. And you know, Tim Geyser isn't winning the first motos. So if he continues not to win the first motos, there's every chance that this points cap can, um, you know, be maintained at roughly the, the 19, 20 points mark. But it's certainly going to be very interesting. Like you said earlier, Tim Geyser's pretty unbelievable, Argo. But Jorge Prado said in the press conference, it's a track he likes and has good memories from as well. So it's one of those ones where the start could be crucial again. And a rider who actually lost a lot of points is worst Grand Prix of the year, Maxime Renault. He was up to second, looking like he, would, he could potentially be the guy to challenge Tim, Tim Geyser along with Jorge Prado. He almost had a Jorge Prado Argentina day in Portugal, except it was worse. He never looked quite totally comfortable with the track or his bike or just it didn't look like the normal Maxime Renault, even in the qualifying race. 
even as, as lap times on the Saturday weren't quite there. They were sort of at the back end of all the elite guys. And actually the Sunday, he didn't ride too bad, but again, he was in the middle of the back of the, that sort of top six, seven. Starts weren't amazing. That certainly didn't help. But a crash in each moto, the crash in the first moto probably was the worst one because I think he was sixth, fifth or sixth at that point, trying to pass Paul's Jonas. Looked like he'd got a bit of a rhythm. He crashed there. That dropped him back to 11th. Another crash in race two after a bad start and 11th again. A lot of points lost for Maxime Renault. And slightly disappointing just in terms of the championship because he was really building momentum there. Of course, nothing's over this early stage in the season, but it does drop him back a wee bit out of that fight, which was kind of a three-way fight of, of people that were likely to really challenge for the championship. Now it looks like it's going back to Prado and Geyser, but Maxime Renault is good in the hot. Well, he's good everywhere, obviously, but he's good in the hard pack being French. And Arco could suit him, but the starts in Portugal would worry me a bit that you can't really start even five, six, seven, eight, especially if Tim Geyser and Norgay Prado were going to go one, two, especially at Arco, which is notoriously hard to pass. Yeah, I feel like Renault's riding on the Sunday wasn't actually the issue. The issue were was the starts, like you alluded to, and also a crash in each moto. Like we we'll have to remember, he's an MXGP rookie, and I think if he had got out of the gate, I don't think he would have got a podium. But there's no, there's no reason why he couldn't have been fourth or fifth. I don't think he was any slower than Kodenhoff or Jonas. And obviously, if he had got the better starts, you know, he would have seen what the guys at the front were doing. And for an MXGP rookie, fourth or fifth overall is fine. The issue is the starts killed him, and you can't get a bad start in MXGP. He found that out, and as he was coming through the pack, a moto a crash in each moto isn't ideal. So 11-11 on paper looks terrible, but actually his riding on the Sunday I don't think was that bad, to be honest. But yeah, it's just a shame for his championship. But we do have to remember he is an MXGP rookie, and coming into the season, he certainly wasn't expecting to, expected to challenge for this championship. So just to put it down as a bad day in the office and come back out swinging an arco. It was just interesting more the fact that he admitted he didn't feel totally comfortable and this was probably the first round he hasn't felt comfortable, so maybe it's just an, an anomaly. Or as we yeah. go through the season, is there going to be certain tracks that he maybe doesn't have that feeling with that he did have in the first three? Could be something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But for not feeling so good and having the potential still to be in the top five isn't too yeah. bad. It's just the results look very bad on paper. But, you know, if he had got the starts or whatever and finished fourth or fifth overall, he'd probably been happy enough because that for a bad day would have been quite good, especially for a rookie. But like I say, the crashes and the bad starts cost him. But hopefully um, he can cut the crash now and he'll be grand. I'm not worried at all. That's probably the expectation as well. When you've just come off a motor win in Argentina, you're expected then to be at least challenging for that podium, if not race wins again. Brian Bogers talking of people challenging for podiums and race wins. Expectation was that Brian Bogers wouldn't probably be the guy to do that. Maybe a podium, at least for me, top five. That would have been good for him this year. He started out really well. He had the dislocated shoulder in Argentina. And I'm not sure, especially after that, anyone expected him. A, I didn't expect him to be, to be riding here initially. But B, to come out with that pace. He caught Jorge Prado in the first one, rode really, really well for second, backed it up in race two with a fourth and third overall for Brian Bogers, probably the best performance of his career. Yeah, that's by far the best I've seen him ride. For me, he was a star of, he was a star of the weekend and the real, the real talking point, to be honest. Um, 
unbelievable. I mean, that first moto, I think he was probably quicker than Prado. He just couldn't quite get close enough to find a spot to pass. And obviously, Prado isn't the easiest guy to pass either. Um, but yeah, the corner speed, he was kind. He looked so, so comfortable on the bike. He could just put it wherever he wanted and really, really impressed. And it's nice to see um, Bodgers prove a lot of people wrong because when he was at HRC Honda, a lot of people doubted him, thinking, oh, how's he got this right, this, that, and the other. But, you know, he's a rider I've always rated. I think he is underrated. Just he's had a lot of bad luck since moving up to 450, and it's, it's nice to see him put it all together now. The one thing I would say is he showed glimpses of what he could do, but usually after 20 minutes, he would maybe drop back a bit. But that actually did not happen in Portugal. I was sort of waiting for it to happen, but it didn't happen in either moto. And actually, he was in the second moto, he pushed forward because he needed to pass PJ to get the podium, and he made it happen. So well done, Brian Bogers, and we'll see what, uh, what he can do now. And this should really help his confidence, and I think he is a bit of a confidence rider. Yeah, he was certainly very good. And underlined, I was a bit worried that injury would take the momentum away that he had in the first three rounds. In terms of the championship, actually, because he's been consistently so fast and somehow got better after injury, it's actually a bit of a an annoyance that the, the Argentina situation happened because he wouldn't have been far off, probably knocking on the door of that top five in the championship. was That was going really well for him as well. Of course, there's only one round in a long season. It doesn't look like it's really interfered with his pace, obviously. So hopefully that was just a blip. There'll be no more injuries because Brian's enough of injuries. Robin has momentum and uh, pace and everything like that, especially since he's come into MXGP. So it's fantastic to see him really show that potential and probably surprise people, myself included, that he's he was on that pace. I mean, he, he legitimately caught Jorge Prado. He Tim Geiser catching him at the end of the opening moto that didn't seem to bother him either so it shows you just what a high good he was feeling that he was able to cope with that pressure he's not usually up there to that extent and he seemed to cope with it perfectly fine yeah exactly really really good um a lot of riders that aren't used to running at the front might have crumbled whenever they've seen guys here but he actually upped his pace on the last lap so that was impressive and yeah, really, really good. And another rider at the Standing Construct team, I don't know what they do, but every single rider seems yeah. to improve underneath that awning. So big up to them and hopefully Brown can keep going. Yeah, it's really, it is really a shame he missed Argentina because he was fifth in the World Championship until then. And I mean, like, it, it'd probably be, be it still at least fifth, maybe even fourth, yeah, knocking yeah. on the door. Um, He's eighth now, which isn't too bad at all, considering he missed a whole round. So He'll be looking up instead of down, I think, as the season goes on. But it will be interesting to see how he does at a track like Arco because the slick car pack tracks are probably his weakness. If he can master them, he could he could really be the complete rider there. Another rider who had a, a strong day and good to see him approaching his best form again was Glenn Kotenhoff. Actually a strong weekend. Fast in every practice session, won the qualifying heat on fourth overall, just missed out on the podium by a couple of points, actually. Glenn Coltenhoff has to be somewhat of a relief, not just with the one good result, but as I said, the consistent speed he showed all weekend. Good starts up at the front, no real mistakes. It looks like that arm pump issue is gone, hopefully, fingers crossed. I might see, hopefully, more consistent performance of Glenn Coltenhoff out the sharp end of the pack, certainly a big step forward for him at, at round four of the championship. 
Absolutely. That's more like the old Ben Codenhoff we've got mm-hmm. used to seeing over the last couple of years, for sure. And I don't necessarily think his pace has been the issues at the opening rounds. It's just, it seems like he's only, after 15 minutes or whatever, yeah. he dropped back. He seemed to have issues, but it was nice to see him not have those issues in Portugal and, you know, maintain that, spe- that speed for the whole race. So, 4-3, very close to a podium, but he just missed out. But I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. And if he can keep riding like that, I don't think a podium will be too far away as it, as it wasn't in Portugal. I think he had it at one stage, but then Bodgers passed Jonas and then that got him the podium. So certainly he should be knocking on the door and hopefully he can um, use that to build his confidence and progress. Yeah, as you said, the pace had been there initially but he didn't always have the longevity in the motos. Mm. Now it looks like that looks hopefully being a hurdle that he's able to jump over. Paul's Jonas, he never seems to have a problem with pace. Fifth overall, in the mix all day again. Probably still slightly rusty in terms of race pace, just especially with, with the, the Saturday and Sunday racing back. Being injured at the start of the season doesn't really help your, your preparation for that. But fifth overall again, very good. And Jeremy Sewer sixth. Those are the top six really that are kind of emerging as the main guys, with the exception of maybe Ruben Fernandez. We mm. talked about him earlier. He was going for the lead in the qualifier. He looked sore after the, the second crash he had in the qualifier, but somehow started on the outside, dealt with the pain and got eighth overall coming through the field. He was even very good in the first moto as well. Plus that second moto, I think by the end he was he, he was hurting a bit, but he still hung on. Definitely determined eighth overall for him. And if he can get out of the gate and cut these, although as I say, I don't think the mistakes were necessarily his fault in Portugal, but definitely excited. I think with the fans again, he's got a lot of raw speed. And to add to, to Ruben Fernandez, another rider that impressed me in terms of pace. Calvin Volander and seventh overall on the Gavin Van Den Roy Yamaha. This was the sort of speed he was showing last year. He's worked his way into it this year. I know he had an injury to deal with over the winter. He's now starting to come on really strong as well, which is great to see because sometimes he can get a wee bit forgotten about. He was really good on the Honda MX2. Probably should have had the opportunity to factory ride an MXGP, but he's showing the pace and the talent that he has. He's a good bike. He looks comfortable on it. And when he gets the starts, he can really sort of latch on to that top six and a, a flying Ruben Fernandez as well. Yeah, just on Ruben Fernandez, he's had a lot go wrong, but fortunately for him, with the exception of crashing out in the lead in Argentina, the majority of it has went wrong in the qualifying races. <laughs> so he always seems to maybe sort himself out for the, the Sunday. Um, and he's actually sixth in the championship as a rookie. Six, nine in pain, like you mentioned. He definitely was in a bit of pain. So that's that's a really good day. Eighth overall, can't complain about that. And I am, I'm in agreement with you actually with the incident. I haven't seen it um, on the video yet, but I did see it in in real in real time, and it did look to me like there was maybe a gap there, but maybe Geyser could call up in the corner or something. But it just looked like a racing incident. There was certainly no intent there, and a bit unlucky that both ended up in a heap. Calvin Vlander, and I have to say, in that second moto. The last 10 minutes, he was really, really riding fast. He was catching the top five ahead of him. And he was I think he was running the same lap times as as, as, the, as maybe even Geyser at the end. Now, obviously, Geyser had a nice gap and was just cruising. But 
even still for Flandern to be catching and running quicker lap times and the guy the, the guy behind Geyser should be a very, very big confidence booster for him. Eight six for seventh overall. Sometimes Calvin maybe hasn't got the consistency. You maybe go eight twelve or something like that. So but he should be aiming to get in the top ten every single moto and eight six. You'll certainly be looking for more of that as the season conti- continues and with better starts. I think he can be in that Kohlenhoff Jonas group and even maybe even Sura group. Yeah, just on the Geyser Fernandez crash, there's actually videos on it on getdrop.com. If you have a look, there is a GoPro of both riders and then the, the accident from a fan perspective with, with the camera. Looking at it, that, that road, and certainly it looked like a total racing incident, but Geyser definitely went wider in the corner while Ruben was cutting down. And then they just sort of connected. I think both riders maybe felt that it was the other one's yeah. Issue, but with your Ruben, guys, you're kind of just drifted out into where you were. Initially, yeah, looked like right. Ruben had tried to cut down, lost his balance, and fell into Tim. But it was maybe more Tim went wider in the corner than Ruben was expecting. Yeah. Ruben was already there, and then just fell fell into him. Certainly, when, whenever a, I ideal. whenever yeah, whenever I seen it in lifetime, that's exactly what I thought happened as well. Mm-hmm. But just complete racing accident. These things can happen. And, Ah, well, it made the qualifying race a bit more interesting anyway. <laughs> right, let's, we'll get to Jeffrey Hurlings in one minute, but just before we do, Alberto Ferrado, ninth overall. Oh. He's been sneaky good this year, getting decent starts at times, and if he doesn't, he's still got good pace coming through. Jeremy Van Horbeck, we're almost starting to expect this from Jeremy Van Horbeck on the better. Just fast wherever he starts and kind of in around that top 10 all the time. Alberto Ferrado really impressed me because he had a bit of a disaster on the Saturday and you were sort of thinking this isn't going to be his weekend but whatever he told himself overnight uh, he came out far on Sunday 10-8 two motos in the top 10 and ninth overall and he's ninth in the championship sneaky good not a lot said about him but ninth in the championship in MXGP he can be definitely happy with the progress he's making this season Van Horbeek bit of a shame his bike um, cut out on him in the qualifying race because yeah. then that gave him last gate pick so under those circumstances and bad starts 9 and 10 is probably the, but the best he could do another rider that really impressed me actually was Tom Koch not a lot could set up with him but 16-14 for 14th overall battling yeah. with a lot of good riders really really good Mitch Evans also 12th overall, he said he never really got the start, but riding-wise, he felt quite good. So again, more progress, more laps, more points in the bank for Mitch Evans. Right, the big topic, you spoke to Dirk Grubel, Jeffrey Hurlings. I think initially he was hoping to be back for last weekend in Portugal. Now it looks like this healing process is going slower than they anticipated. On the rumours of racing the AMS season now, it looks... Dirk certainly didn't shut that down. Pretty much said that's that's on the table, which to me sounds like Jeffrey. That's what he wants to do. It sounded like Dirk would prefer him to stay in MXGP. Obviously, um, that's that's where he's used to having Jeffrey, and that's his responsibility r- running that team. And Jeffrey obviously has the number one plate. So from the MXGP side of KTM and that group, Jeffrey Herling's and MXGP is fantastic. But for me, I would actually like to see him if he's healthy, of course. You don't really want him going there half healthy with the Formula Tomax in. 
But if Herring can get back on the bike relatively soon and feel like he's at a half-decent level, at least coming into the first round of America, he'll probably never get another chance. This could be his only chance to do it. Hopefully he can still ride a few Grand Prix and maybe get that record as a winning record as well. But from a fan or something different, advice for me, for me, I would love to see Jeffrey Herlings do the AMA Nationals. Caroli, I think you said, is going to do at least the first four is maybe the plan. Certainly some anyway. And for the AMS series, that's fantastic. But to have Jeffrey Herlings and Antonio Caroli not in MXGP this year, especially when there was that talk that Crowley was maybe going to replace Jeffrey Herlings at the start of the year, and you never know, he could have been one of the guys in contention for a world championship. He's ended up retiring. He's going to go to America and have some fun. Jeffrey Herlings looks like he may, if his foot is halfway decent, could be doing the full series. Nothing's confirmed, of course, but for the AMS series, very, very exciting, especially with the form of Tomac, and there's quite a lot of good 50 or 50 guys out there. And Jeffrey Herlings... Um, we'll have to deal with Dylan Fernandez again, or maybe that should be the other way around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I just, at this stage, it's all going to depend on when Jeffrey's back in this bike. But, you know, whenever I yeah. asked Dirk, is he going to be back in Latvia? It was wrote all over his face that he was very worried about when Jeffrey's going to get back in the bike. So I'm really not expecting him back anytime soon, to be honest. I think... Uh, it's six weeks to the AMA national opener. Um, and I don't know. I think he needs, I think what the plan will be if he can come back and ride Riola and do well there, that's a week before the AMA national. Mm-hmm. I think if he can ride that and do well, I think he'll be going race AMA. But if he goes there, but A, if he goes there and sucks, or B, he doesn't make Raola. I don't think he'll probably start the AMS season. And, you know, this is only six, five weeks away to Raola. And he's not even back on the bike yet. And there's no real talk about when he's going to be get, getting back on the bike. Dirk said he's just I off think it's going to be cut. I think it's just starting yeah, to rehab. Ex- so, I mean, exactly. Even so to, even to it's AMA, not it's going to be too tight. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. And I think ideally, you know, he, he'll want to see what his speed is like before he, he goes to America. So, it might all hinge on if he can race the Italian GP the week before, but it's definitely not looking great in that aspect. I think if the recovery was going well, definitely a lot more chance of it. But, I mean, I suppose it'll be on him at the end of the day. But should he go if he's not fully prepared? Uh, I know it's uh, I know there's, I... it's a 12-round national championship, but... You know, if you start the season bad, uh, the first four races go bad, the championship could be done before it's it even four, started. So four races in four weeks. Two, yeah, you know, there's it, no chance to it, have exactly. one couple of weeks off to rehab after one round just to get some points. If you're only coming back yeah. to your form and within six weeks, you've missed four or five rounds of your optimum speed and you're probably not going to get the championship back at that point. And I don't think Jeffrey will go in there just just for the experience. I think he would like to experience a oh, season yeah. there, but he wants to win. He wants to contend for the, the win, title yeah. because whatever anybody says, he's the fastest MXGP rider in the world, motocross rider in the world, regardless. I don't think any of those guys are going to come to MXGP and race him for a season. So it's a bit unfortunate. It always has to be them going there. But I don't think Jeffrey's going to do that if he doesn't think he's at a level that he can compete to win. At least absolutely. Well, I hope I, I, 
I hope that's the approach he does take because I think it would be foolish if he went there uh, with only a couple of weeks on the bike and if he doesn't feel great. And not only that, this year he's got the other element of having to develop a new 450. <coughs> Prado's had point, yeah. quite a lot of time on it and he still hasn't got it the world the level was last year. Maybe if he went to America, maybe he could just say, can you give me a 2021 bike? But that's for him and KTM to discuss. And, you know, they need to get this new bike up the up to scratch soon. So they probably want them riding it. So there's a lot of variables to it. It's going to be interesting. But I just hope that if he isn't right, that he takes a smart approach, just takes, takes his time and then come back to racing whenever he can be at least 80%. And then whether that's doing some MXGP and some AMA, that might be the better option. But like I said, it's all going to hinge down to when he's back on the bike. That's the million-dollar question at the minute. And if he is back on the bike, say in three weeks' time, that gives him for three weeks before the AMA national opener. Going by what Dirk said, I wouldn't be surprised if he does start the or if he does compete the AMA national championship because Dirk has had the opportunity to shut it down and he. Yeah, he's done the opposite of anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember Austin Jolt's match at Hawkstone, and he didn't completely shut it down. You got the impression it wasn't something they wanted to do. But with the fact even he didn't rule it out, it sort of told you that this foot wasn't going to be ready for the start of the World Championship. And maybe as a Plan B, it could be there. And now that Plan B is looking more like possibly Plan A at the minute. And that still, if if the foot can maybe heal quicker than than it has so far. That certainly isn't going probably as quickly as Jeffrey wanted it to go. And I feel for MXGP, it loses something when, when Jeffrey isn't there. There's an, there's an intensity, there's an expectation when he's on the gate that he can set the pace. And I think with Tim Geyser riding so well as well, it might have set up for some pretty epic battles this year. And we're not going to quite get to see it. And even when Jeffrey comes back, as you mentioned, how on form is he going to be? Is Tim Geyser going to want to go that pace whenever Jeffrey is at 100% later in the year if he comes back to that level. So it's not going to be quite the same as a fully fit Jeffrey Hurlings and a Tim Geyser that looked all winter to be intent on revenge to get this title back and the pace and the way he's riding this year. It could have been a fantastic championship and I feel like we're just losing something as well as Roman Fevre and obviously Antonio Carulli. But with Jeffrey Hurlings, the defending world champion, not on the gate, even for Tim Geyser to see those battles with Jorge Prado and everything, a bit of what we saw last year, I think Geyser was really up for beating Hurlings this year, straight up. And Hurlings looks like he looked like he was coming in on maybe a higher level than he was last year. I think it could have been some all-time speed. And unfortunately, we're just not getting to see that. Hopefully, we'll get to see it at some point, but it could it could be the AMS side that benefits more. You never know. Yeah, it could well be. Certainly, it's looking like that at the moment because even they're going to probably end up getting Crowley for some rounds. And even if Hurlings does come back later, you would think he might be trying to do a couple of AMA races. So I think we'll probably see him race in America this year. We just don't know yet if it's going to be the full championship, but it will be interesting. To be honest, I wouldn't really mind if Hurlings went over there, but the only issue is the MA riders don't want to come and race here. You know, it'd be great to see like Tomac and Dylan Francis have a go at MXGP, but it never really happens, does it? <laughs> yeah, it would be good if they had mm. someone had went vice versa or they just raced mm. the full world championship on a year or two before they retire. If you like Tomac, that would be 
if you do like to match Jeffrey Hurling's Tim Geyser next year in the World Championship, that would certainly be something exciting. But we'll move to MX2, who Dylan Ferrandez came out of and won the championship. Tim Geyser, Jeffrey Hurling's. This class is the class that produces champions in World Championship and AMA racing. And the champion in Portugal was Tom Vial, but a wee bit like MX, MXGP. It was Iago Gertz in the second motor that showed that he's probably still the fastest 250 guy in the world. But Tom Vial did what he had to do in that first race. He's low-key ruthless for me, Tom Vial. He made another aggressive pass in Iago Gertz that first motor. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Right up, took the front wheel essentially away from him. Completely decisive, very determined. He did not want Iago Gertz to get away from him and lose that first moto. Bial wants this really badly. You don't think he likes getting beat at all by anyone, let alone Iago Gertz. He knows he's a points deficit to, to gain. And that first moto was a wee bit sketchy with the water. He got that advantage on Gertz, and then it was Gertz that made that mistake. Pretty uncharacteristic this year. And it was just it was just quite freakish. Almost the front wheel just seemed to go from under and he flipped over the bars quite hard. Luckily, he wasn't injured. It took him a while, I think, a couple, a couple of seconds to regain his composure. I don't think he knew what happened, first of all. Then he had to realise what happened and that he was all right. And then he got back on the bike and actually rode well to get back to ninth. But at that point, the damage was done. Tom Vial got the win and got a lot of points back. But... Iago Gertz, I think, underline how much of a different and improved rider he is this year by being able to win the second moto. Vial actually passed him again early, but Gertz didn't get into flustery, didn't make mistakes that maybe would have unraveled him in terms of results last year and the year before. This year, mentally, he's very, very strong. He can make a mistake and he still makes the best of it. He can see Tom Vial passing him and he's not panicking. He's coming back with a decisive move as he did in in that second moto taking the race win, then picking down those hard laps to, to get the gap, taking that win, limiting the damage. And for me, he's still the man to beat. But Tom Vial isn't going away. He's very determined. We've seen the passes he's prepared to do in Iago already. It's only around four. So Iago might at times need to get the wing mirrors out to, to see what Tom Vial is prepared to do. But certainly he looks to have the pace. But Tom Vial's got the determination and this championship could get very, very interesting very quickly. Yeah, what I would say is after Saturday, you were kind of scratching your head going, I'm slightly worried about Tom Vial yes. here, but he seems to always have the answers on Sunday. Uh, even if he doesn't win, you know, to be right up there, on at least the podium. And that's actually his second GP win now, two in a row. Um, so slowly but surely he is getting there. I still think he's making probably more mistakes than Gertz this year. Gert was... Got first motocross, but Gertz was the first one of the year, really, yeah. that he's made. It's almost so, rules reversed a and, bit from yeah, the and, uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, you can you can have a random one-off crash. You can't really hold that against Jago unless he starts doing it, you know, every week. Yeah. Um, but that second moto, oh, Jago Gertz is just a joy to watch. So so fast. He was doing sort of things other riders weren't doing. Bumps here, bumps there. He was just lifting the front weight over them. There was one corner. He. He was jumping into it, and it, really, really good to watch. In my opinion, at the minute, he's definitely the fastest uh, 250 rider in the world. And if he can maintain this, he is going to be hard to beat for this championship. But, you know, Vial is going to get stronger as he gets this bike um, developed. He's lost a lot of time in the winter developing it, and he should only get better and better. And, you know, he'll not be panicking yet. He's only 16 points behind the championship. Um after the, Gertz could only get back up to ninth, so he clawed back some vital points there. 
And, you know, he was over 100 down last year and he came back to third, I think, in the end. So he knows there's a long way to go. But I really, really hope both can stay injury-free because if they do, this could really go down to the wire and it's going to be exciting. And like you say, Fiala is, is determined. But I think Gertz underlined his determination this um this year in that second moto as well to pass all those guys and to pull away. That was a bit of a statement to say, I'm the quickest rider this year. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for Jagger this year is like his mind's cold. You know, he, he's always been that determined, but sometimes the mind seemed to run away with him and he one mistake would create another mistake or a bad start would create a rushed pass attempt. Almost like what the way Tom Vial was in that qualifier in Portugal, trying to get Kaido out, trying to get Kaido out, getting frustrated, getting frustrated and then making a mistake. That was almost Iago the previous years. This year... As I said before, it looks like his mind's cold and he's able to deliver and execute on passes he wants to do there and then. He's not waiting as long, but he's not taking risks either. He's been decisive in his passes and he's making the most of it. And of course, he has the raw speed to be able to pull away at the minute from anyone. When he gets that gap, then he's able to control the race. So really, really impressive. At, at that level, there's not much needed. Yago needed to improve. But that final piece was key and it looks like whatever he's done over this winter where there's frustration, he's just had enough at not being world champion, and he's just decided I'm going to make these changes and deliver. He's got the experience now. Whatever he's done over the winter, it's certainly working at the minute, and it's actually really nice to see because we've watched him for years, and the style and the technique and the speed's always been there, and now it looks like he's the full package. Absolutely, and of course, injuries did play a part in the past as well, so it's nice to see that he's 100% now to start a season, and um, that can also help the mind. You know, it was almost like a domino effect yeah. last year. He came in injured and then I think that injury was worse than he let on as well. And then everything just sort of went against him. And whenever you're not feeling 100%, these things can happen. But it's nice that he's 100% now. He's riding like when I know he can. And yeah, Arco's going to be very, very interesting because you would probably say it's more Tom Vial track. Yeah. Even though Gertz has no real weakness, you know, it's still what Vial, type of ground Vial would have grew, grew up in in front. So, he's going to want to get the win there and claw back some more championship points. If Gertz can pull out a 1-1 there, it would probably hurt Vial. Right, let's move on to the, the Brian Bogers of MX2. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Harrop, second overall, second podium in a row, but this podium was probably even better than, than Argentina, just in terms of the fact he led laps. He actually re-caught Tom Vial in that first moto. And with about two laps to go, I was actually thinking he's going to pin the move on Vial here. The last lap, he couldn't quite get close enough to do it. But the poise he had when he was leading, the poise he had when he was in second with that card of Tom Vial in front of him. We've seen Harrop make, be fast and make mistakes before. Last year, he was consistent. He wasn't getting the starts, really. Now he's got the consistency. He's got the speed. And for me, this was a real good test of where he is in terms of his maturity. And it, for me, he passed it because he, he had the speed. He had all the temptation to ride too hard. He had to deal with the pressure. He had to deal with the opportunity to get the win. And he passed on every level. He never made a mistake when he was leading. He didn't get rattled when Vial passed him and loses confidence or loses rhythm. He actually learned from Vial, picked his pace up again. And you spoke to him after, and he sounded calm as well. And even before the, the race, Lisa spoke to him and said, he wanted to win, but he wanted it step by step. So his mentality this year seems really good. He's obviously gelling with that bike. And for Steve Dixon, this has been a fantastic signing because 
Mikhail Harris been a bit of a revelation this year. So, so good. Really, really good to watch. Um, you know, he's waited uh, a couple of years to get a podium. Now two in a row, he's up to third in the championship standings and he looks to be getting better and better. I think the one area he still needs to improve is in, probably because he had no pre-season race potentially. Um, the first five or ten minutes, he's still going fast, but he hasn't got, you know, he, he gets quicker as the race goes on. And I think that's why VR probably passed him um, because he hasn't quite got that intensity at the start of the moto that he has at the end of the moto. I think once he gets that sorted, oh, he can win races, I think. I really do. I, yeah. I, I don't think he was any slower than Vial this weekend. And yeah. I think in the first moto, he might have even been quicker. That was just that intensity at the start of the race when he's, he's probably not really used to it because he hasn't been at the front of MX2 all that often in his career. It was interesting speaking to him after it, actually, because I asked him about the first photo he got two years ago at Matterdy Basin. After that, he went on a bit of a lull, but he said he's two years older now, he's more mature, and he just seems to be in a really happy place. He's actually, after five years living in Belgium, he's actually back living in Denmark now, which is quite mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's actually been done before. Usually the Danish would come over to Europe and live yeah. somewhere. So, so much travel. Uh, yeah, as Steve Dixon says, he's mm-hmm. making his own decisions and Dixon has the belief in him to you know, do his own work and do everything he needs to do in Denmark. And at the minute, it's, it's working really well. As Dixon alluded to, nothing's went bad yet. So it'll be interesting if he has, yeah. a, if he has a bad race, how he can rebound from that. But at the moment, he looks really, really good. And, I really do think he can win GPs this year if he keeps um, progressing. Another Kawasaki rider has been really impressive, but he hasn't actually had the results until that last moto in Portugal. Kevin Horgmo, I think he was fastest in every timed session bar the literal timed practice session. I think he got third, but he the pace all, all weekend long. And then he had that classic front wheel washout that he had in Argentina twice in that first moto ended his hopes there of a result that reflected his speed. But second moto, finally, finally, finally for Kevin Horgmo, he got the start a bit like um, Harrop in the first one. Showed a lot of composure in the lead. He's not used to that, and certainly in MX2. But he didn't make the mistakes this time. Even when Gerton Vial passed him, he actually had Harrop right behind him. He stayed strong. He kept that pace going well. No mistakes. And hopefully that's now the the hurdle that, that he's been able to to jump over in terms of mistakes and to realise he can run up front, he doesn't need to force the issue early, and he has the pace. Whether it's the bike, whether it's the team, whether it's Mark DeRover, or just confidence and experience, Kevin Horgmo's really turned up maybe two levels this year. Really, really impressive. But it was really nice to see him finally get that result, lead laps, get third in that second moto, because the results haven't reflected how well he's been riding at times this year, and he finally got that and a fifth overall. Really good for Kevin Horgmo as well. The Scandinavians are really stepping it up this year. Yeah, I mean, I was watching him on Saturday and he was unbelievable. Uh, I've never really seen him ride like that before. Um, He was just so fast, corner speed, really good. And he looked so comfortable on the bike. He looked like he could just put it anywhere he wanted. And and he, he was really, really good. And he backed that up in terms of speed on the Sunday. Obviously, I think he crashed twice and still finished eighth in the first moto. So that just shows you how quick he's going. Mm-hmm. And I think he hit the third best lap time as well in the first moto. 
yeah, I, I mean, he's still not used to running at the front. I think once he gets used to all this, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with if he can keep going in this direction. He seems very, very comfortable with that team, really happy. I was speaking to his mom and she says he's really happy with the team, really happy with the bike. He told me the same. So, and he know the thing is, he knows where he's going wrong. He knows he needs to keep it in two wheels. So mm-hmm. some riders, you know, they lack the pace and it's hard to ha- get that pace if you don't have it. But it must be nice for him to know that he has the speed yeah. and he just needs to keep it in two wheels. If he does that, a podium certainly won't be far away. Actually, he probably would have got the podium um, in that first moto if he hadn't been to twice instead of Gertz, to be honest, after Gertz yeah. finished ninth. Um, so it's definitely not, he's knocking on the door for a podium, that's for sure. And it's nice to see him fulfill his potential. Definitely. And also another rider who impressed, not the level in terms of raw speed, but in terms of grit and determination. Two weeks ago, it looked pretty serious for Kaido Wolf as he lay on in Argentina, big crash, and he was pretty much motionless for a few seconds at least. Pretty worrying, and yet he came back, took a fourth overall, very strong ride both motos, and he even had that battle with Tom Vial in, in the qualifiers I mentioned earlier. Refused to give in, passed Vial back, and then he actually passed Harrop back pretty aggressively in the qualifier too, so really nice to see Kyle Wolf back. I don't think he was quite at 100%, understandably, but it says a lot for his ability on, his, on a talent level, but also his ability on a mind level to grit that out and to come up with fourth overall. So really good for Kaido Wolf. Andre Adamo, quietly effective again. Decent start, sixth overall for him. And we should also say Thibaut Benison, first race, seventh overall. That was very strong as well. Yeah, speaking to Rasmus Jorgensen, he said after Argentina, he didn't expect of a rider in Portugal, but they just, you know, Kai was okay to race, no expectations. And mentally, after such a big crash, I think he was strong a little bit, but you wouldn't have thought it, you know, three, yeah. six, not riding, uh, you know, after what happened to him in Argentina, fourth overall, just missing a podium. The walk away from that like a win to be honest uh, especially after Argentina not even expecting to line up so um, considering what happened you know four overall is very very good Andrea Adamo he keeps impressing me he, he's very very consistent he's fifth in the MX2 World Championship for, he's pretty much always battling for that top five and he has, he's yeah. like you said for like you said for Horgmo going up two levels I feel like Andre Adamo <laughs> has done the exact same he was usually between 10 to 15 last year so f- to make that jump up to be battling for top fives every moto big jump he's had a really good winter and talk of the paddockers he could be a factory KTM rider next year mm-hmm. 18 year old somebody like him working under Jules Smets as long as he can deal with yeah. the yeah if he if he can deal with the pressure, he can turn some heads, I think. He's earned that opportunity anyway. And as you said, 18, for some reason, I keep thinking he's yes. 20, 21. I don't know why, but yeah. 18 years old, he's he's had to prove himself, which is a good thing too, to show that riders who don't just jump in as a youth rider into factory teams and mm. that's it. You know, the other teams are looking at riders just below that level that if they show the potential, they can get the chance at those bikes as well. And Kevin Horg was also probably a, a good example of that. And Mikhail Harrop showing that with a, a, I don't know what you call that, semi-privateer. Still a very good bike with Steve Dixon, you know, that you, that you can get results in MX2 as well. So it's nice to see that parody 
also getting a good result, but maybe a, a day that just encapsulated Conrad Muse's MX2 career. Good start in the first one. He almost got third. Kind of Wolf got him late on, maybe a bit of a fitness just there. Not so much raw fitness, but just in terms of being used to run, running that pace with the pressure and the intensity at the front. Conrad doesn't get to see the, the front because the starts aren't usually as good as that. So I was hoping that the second moto he would get the start again and you'd have a very good chance of a podium and certainly a top five overall. But it all went wrong. He didn't get the start. He couldn't pull through. And he ended up, I think, around 14th or so. Yeah. Ninth overall for Conrad. Still a good day because I think if you come away with fourth, it's, it's a good reminder that he has the pace. Everyone sees that pace in Britain, but going to the World Championship, it's not always there. He definitely needs the starts to show it. But at least when he did get to start that race, he showed it for the full 30 minutes and he was battling with the, with the best riders in the world. So definitely positive to take away from. But the frustration is... That second moto couldn't put two motos together again. And he really needs those starts, but at least when he gets the starts, he's starting to show the real Conrad music again. Yeah, absolutely. First moto, really, really good, strong. Probably still not the Conrad Muse we see in Britain, but he was he was still very fast and good. Uh second moto, a little confusing because it seems to be that when he doesn't get a start, he struggles a little bit. He, he rode relatively okay, but I mean, Rabini came from dead last to pass him and finished 13th. So yeah. he didn't ride with the same flow for whatever reason. Not sure if it's a mental thing or what it is, but, you know, I think he just needs a podium. He just needs it. I don't know if he's trying too hard whenever he gets into a good position or what it is, but I think if he can get the podium once, hopefully that'll be the monkey off his yeah, back right and then too. he can consistently run at the front. But like you say, he does depend on the starts at the moment because when he does get a bad start, he can't seem to come through. Matteo Guadagnini actually rode really well the last mm. couple of weekends. It looks like he's turned his, the pace has come back for him, but he had that big crash in the first moto. And again, the second moto, I think he had to come through a bit. So we never quite saw him at the front. Quite unfortunate in a way because I feel like a podium was on the cards, at least battling into that top five if he'd got away. And no mistakes. He obviously did get away, but then he crashed hard in the first in the first moto straight away. But riding wise, I think a positive for Guadney. The last two weekends have looked a lot better for him, more like the the rider we saw last year. Absolutely. Uh, in that first moto, he, it didn't take him long to eat dirt anyway. <laughs> no, but um, the <laughs> yeah, get rid over. Yeah, exactly. A bit unfortunate, really. Um, eighth overall, but that definitely does not reflect the speed he had. Definitely, if he would have got away, he definitely had the pace for the top five, as he showed in the second moto. But he just never really seen the front all weekend and uh, in the, in the both motos on the Sunday, which is a bit of a shame. But I think mentally that'll probably help him. He was in a bit of a difficult situation at the start of the season. So it's nice to see him ride like the level he showed last year. And Arco in front of his home fans this weekend, he'll be looking to get two good starts and run at the front. And Simon Langenfelder, all these crashes seem to catch up with him at uh, Portugal. I don't think he's 100% healthy. I think he hurt his thumb on the Saturday, yep. if I remember correctly. So not the Simon Langenfelder we saw at the first couple of Grand Prix. Still 11th overall, still got some points. So hopefully he'll be feeling better this weekend coming into Arco because I don't think that reflects where he really should be. For me, I think he is on that level of a podium contender and a race win contender every week. But we should also give Isaac Gifting a mention. 
somehow, somewhere, 10 days after a broken <laughs> collarbone, he was up running in the top five, he even had crashes and didn't get injured. The results mm. in no way reflect how well he was riding as well. We seem to be saying that a lot today. Um, but, but Gifting was running in that top five, that second moto. Really impressive that he was able to ride at all. 12th overall, normally you'd be looking after broken collarbone saying that was really good. But actually, the results yeah. could have been so much better. He was quite unlucky. But it was good to see he didn't yes. get injured with those crashes as well. But pace-wise, that was impressive. Well, funny enough, speaking to Stephen Sewer, he said he wasn't in any pain riding the bike. Okay. But he needed to keep it in two wheels, and he didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say <laughs> as soon as he hit the dirt, that probably... Uh, it was probably a bit painful. It was a, he took one high speed crash as well. I was a bit worried, yeah, but same. thankfully he was able to pick the bike up and finish and eleven eleven. And like you say, again he wasn't far away. He was probably quicker than somebody like Benny Stott, but Benny Stott just went out and done his thing, was consistent, and he I must say he had a very good day on his return, seven eight for seventh overall. So that's something for him to build on. But gifting. He always has a lot of speed. It's just keeping it in two ways. If he can do that, he'll not be far away from the front. And Jeremy Sido, I know you were speaking to him. He had a good pace, but again, a wee bit, the results weren't quite there. But yeah. he's been quite good in his uh, ride on the Diga Pro Cross KTM. Really, really good. Actually, his speed definitely does not reflect um, the results he's getting. I think he crashed and hurt himself slightly in the second moto, but he should be good for Arco. And at the moment, that's going to be his last ride on that team. I would quite like to see that, that team keep him and run him alongside Everts, whether logistically they'll be able to do that. But I feel like that might even help Everts too because he's going to be under a bit of pressure to perform. And at <laughs> the moment, he's probably not going to be as fast as Saito. So having the both of them would be quite good, if, I feel. But it'll be interesting to see what to do because... I mean, Saito showed on the Saturday he has top five pace yeah. if he can get out of the gate. He didn't look out of place whatsoever. Talking of Everts, we saw Stefan there. He just posted himself riding an enduro bike. And fantastic to see that again. The styles there, the standing up, the technique, wheeling over things. Absolutely brilliant to see Stefan back. You obviously don't lose that talent and that ability, even after everything he's went through. And I'm sure for Liam, it's great to be able to ride with his dad again. And I'm sure he's probably still learning stuff that, that Stefan does as well on the bike. I would say so. That man knows everything there is to know about riding the bike and technique. So obviously great for Liam to have him in his corner. I think Liam will be back for Latvia. Mm-hmm. I think Latvia is the round after Arco. So the plan is for him yeah. to be back there. Whether or not that happens, it might might end up coming too soon, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, just on MX2, shout out to Jan Pankar. Rider that always seems to go under the radar, but he's a pretty consistent top 15 guy now. 16-12 in um, Portugal was good. And Petr Polak, um, the Czech Republic kid, 14th overall, 14-16. That's step in the right direction for him and the JM Honda as well. Right, just quickly before wrap this up. AMX 250 and WMX, good racing as well. That first moto in WMX was really good with four of them going at it. But Lynn Volk, really impressive. She had the pace, both motos, and unfortunately, Courtney Duncan fractured a qualif- collarbone and, and not actually time practice. The first practice session, tried to ride time practice and couldn't do it. And then the, they went to the medical unit and discovered she, she had that injury. 
that probably actually rules her out with not a lot of rounds of the World Championship this year and then Volk's in prime position to, to get it. But Nancy Van de Ven's never usually that far away either. So it could be quite exciting. Yeah, it should be. Nancy also had a crash in free practice, so she was riding in a bit of pain as well. That's why I think she wasn't quite herself in the yeah. first moto, but she was definitely stronger in the second moto and kept Volk honest. It'll probably go down to the wire between those two, but I have to say it was nice for Volk to get a, her first one one of her career. She's been knocking on the door for a while, and it's, it's nice to see her fulfill her potential now. It's, it's looking like a Yamaha is going to take that title anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of Yamahas on the get, but there's a couple of younger is coming through as well, which is nice to see. Um, stepping up Ma- to that Martin pace. Hughes, a f- yeah, Martin Hughes, future world champion, in my opinion. She's she's very, very good for 17. Very, very yeah. impressive, I have to say. Her starts were horrendous, but she's so smooth on the bike. She do- doesn't really panic, and she was a victim there in that second moto in what was a racing incident, but it certainly wasn't her fault. And a bit of a disaster that couldn't untangle the bikes, so she lost valuable yeah, points. But <laughs> her, riding's, her riding is very, very impressive. It's been a long time, actually. Probably most impressive talent since for Portland. me since Duncan, probably. Yeah. And there's Probably. the, 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 the her name's escaped me, the Dutch girl coming through. She's just off an 80. Is it a Dutch? Uh, are you thinking it's, about Lottie Van Rooyen? Lottie Van, yeah, she's going to be really fast oh, as well. Yeah, well, she she, yeah, well she's not, she's still too young to race yeah. that class, but yeah, she, she's, well, it might take her a while to get right to the front because let me tell you, them women are going, they're going a good pace, but it will be interesting. Yeah, it could be her and Hughes that are the, the future in two or three years yeah, of that next, class. So yeah. Courtney, for a while, it looked like Courtney would maybe start to dominate that class. But I think now with the young ones coming yeah. up, Lynn Volk stepping up in the van to van, it's not going to be that easy, you know, for the next couple of years for Courtney as well. So it's, it's actually really good racing. The depth the front five, six, seven are certainly very good at the minute in WMX. EMX 250 and Rick Elzinger is really impressing me at the minute. He looks more comfortable on the Yamaha for some reason. He looks calm, whether he's leading, whether he's coming through the field, mm. whatever situation, and whether and riding against those 250 Fantics, nothing seems to bother him at, at the minute. And obviously he's Dutch and better in the sand, but Portugal certainly wasn't a sand track. There was loamy areas, but there was also very slick, choppy areas, and Elzinger handled everything the track threw at him and ran away with the first moto, showed good composure in the second moto to eventually break. Tundell and 1-1 for him. He's the man to beat now in this championship. Absolutely. Really impressive. It was the fact that he won two very different motos. You know, the first one was very easy peasy and straightforward for him. Second moto, he had pressure behind from Tondell the whole race, really. I think backmarkers got in Tondell's way with about three to go. And then Elzinga just kept that gap um, at about the three-second mark after that. So, Really, really impressive, and he's racing MX2 this weekend, but he's in a bit of an awkward spot now because the last thing he wants to do is push above his limit and crash and ruin the MX250 championship. Yeah, so, but we maybe can't be too harsh on him if he doesn't, you know, get top 10 results or whatever because he's probably going to have the MX250 championship on his mind, and I think that's fair enough. No, the most exciting part of the MX250 for me was the Coonan brothers. The Belgian Ricky Carmichael, Sasha Coonan, won a couple of races at one round on an AMX 250. And he's already fast enough to, to be one of the top riders. Unfortunately, he isn't very good on the first lap. 
he gets very excited or hits the gate as he did in the first first moto. So we're just working on that, but we can get around the first lap without crashing. But Lucas Coonan, he picked up the slack from his younger brother after the qualifying, and in the races, it was Lucas that impressed. Second overall for him, for him. I saw what he did last year in EMX one two five. Once he got confidence, these two are actually going faster earlier than I expected. By the end of the season, I was sort of expecting this. Sasha definitely didn't expect him to be running those lap times. We're working on the racing aspect. We just need to calm down slightly. Um, but we're very, very, very fast. We're called the Bells and Ricky Carmichael. We just need to stay on. Lucas Coonan, really impressive. Certainly a bit calmer, but I think the first moto, he got that triple wrong, and I thought he was down as well. So the Coonans know how to push it, but they're very, very fast. I feel sorry for Lucas. Anytime you bring them up, you always mention <laughs> Sasha first. Poor Lucas. Well, Lucas, no, look, look, Lucas is, Lucas is really... Yeah, he was very, very good. He's a bit more smooth and more calculated than his yeah. brother. Yeah, and you know, it, uh, he's obviously not bothered by qualifying because at qualifying no. he wasn't wasn't too wasn't too great. But you know, it doesn't really bother him. He's still got, I think, one good start and, and then the other motor he, he fought through. But second overall, we've seen Hacken Osterhagen get a podium in his EMX two fifty debut, and now we've we've seen Lucas Conan on the podium at the second round. So it goes to show how quick they were going in the EMX one two five class last year, and yeah. it's really good to see two young Belgian talents coming through as well. Sasha, I mean, I never doubted that he'd have the speed for one lap, but it's keeping it, in, you know, it's getting <laughs> you the were, results you were and keeping it in two ways. on Saturday that you were quite nervous on your yeah. elevated heart rate watching him. It was a bit sketchy. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't be his mum or dad watching him anyway. It must be, <laughs> must, the heart rate must be high, but um, I've, uh, a wonderful talent. I still think it might have been better to keep him on the one, two, five, you know, just to give him an extra year to learn. Um, but yeah, hopefully he can last the season and just progress as the season goes on. But you'll be wanting to get some results soon. You mentioned Osterhagen there. He was actually riding really well. And again, oh. he's on a 250 at a very young age. That never really used to happen. He used to go 125 for yeah. a few years in your teams, unless you're Paul Mallon, you go straight to 500. Hmm. But that's that's not normal. And uh, Osterhagen's, what, 15, 16 on a 252 stroke. Yeah. running the pace, but then he got absolutely wiped oh, out by Vedic big that, time. He was oh, lucky he wasn't hurt. That was uh, that was on the edge of beyond was, aggressive. <laughs> yes, I've seen that live and I was like, wow, that was nasty, to be fair. But um, yeah, I was speaking to Osterhagen and he said at the start, you know, he, he struggled with the bike, but he's getting used to it and keeps getting better. And obviously by the start of the season, he'd already showed some really good speed getting the podium. Um, the speed of game wasn't really an issue this weekend. I think he had a bad start in the first one and then the second one um, due to the aggressive pass. But thankfully, he got checked out by the medic and nothing was broken. So we'll see him back in action soon, thankfully, because that could have been a lot worse. That was pretty high speed stuff and the, he got the front wheel took away from him. So it's not a bit of wonder he, he put his hand up. Yeah, not surprised that would have hurt. Mm. But pace-wise, definitely there again. So mentioned the Coonins. Osterhagen, there's a lot of young talent, as you mentioned, coming from that one two, five class. Camden McClellan as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Second in that first moto. He, so everyone's got, starting to get this pace in the 250 class. Yeah, McClellan got took out in the second moto as right, well, actually. Okay. Otherwise, he would have been maybe yeah. knocking on the, on the door for a podium as well because he was very strong in the first moto. 
do think Lucas Conan was maybe a little bit quicker, but you know, Camden has that the d- 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 determination and he was able to keep him behind him to finish second in the first moto. So he has speed and he's fifth in the championship after two rounds. So he's been consistent as well. Right, that's a wrap on Portugal and it's only a few days and we'll have the Grand Prix Arco. in Arco and also Supercross in St. Louis. Eli Tomac will probably win that. I think we're just waiting for Christian Craig versus Jet Lawrence in the, in the 250 class in the next couple of weeks. But um, Jason Anderson and Justin Barsha are about with Malcolm Stewart, so there could be a few fireworks there still, hopefully, because I said that top six to eight, there's not a lot going on in the 450 class at the minute. So we'll see what happens in St. Louis. Does Chad Reid ride a 250 Yamaha or was it all a bit of a joke? We'll find out. Um, but certainly a busy weekend again. And Andy, thanks for your opinions and experience of Agueda. And we'll speak to you next week. Ciao for now. You weren't in Italy, you were in Portugal. <laughs> but at least next. But you aren't even going there. <laughs> I know, but I'm excited for Italy. Right. Bye bye.